Well, after having spent the last few weeks studying Daniel, we're now going to be looking to a new series, uh, seven weeks in the I Am Statements of Jesus from John's Gospel. John, of course, wrote his Gospel of John, uh, three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelation. And in those works, you see some sevens captured there. In Revelation, he uses the number seven a few times. And specifically in his Gospel, there's seven major miracles or signs that Jesus performs. And they're even called signs in some places. And it's in this chapter, in chapter 6 that we're going to be looking at today, is one of those signs, the loaves and the fish. But there's also these seven I am statements of Jesus. And I want to read those for you. And as I read them, think to yourself about what they mean and what they convey. They're metaphors, they're images for us of who Jesus is and what he does on our behalf. Think of the connection between them. Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. Do you see, pictured there, our connection to God. We receive sustenance through Christ. We have salvation and access to God, the Father, through Christ the Son. And so we're going to be going through this series in seven weeks this summer and looking at each of these in turn. And this week we're going to look at I Am the Bread of Life from John chapter 6. So I'm going to read briefly from the central verse here in John chapter 6, verses 35 through 37, and then we're going to go through the whole chapter, because the whole chapter really provides us a context, and it lays out a story for us. We want to see what that story is telling us this morning. So reading in verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said that you to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your Son, the only way of salvation for us. He is the bread of life. So Lord, help us to learn from your word today. Help us to come to you hungry, and eager to uh, be satisfied, eager to be fed. Lord, may that characterize our lives. May that be who we are. And as Christ calls them to in response to him being the bread of life, may we believe. May we believe his word. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, so just giving you an overview of where we're going, it, it's a long chapter, but we're going to look at the whole thing because it really does lay out a consistent message. The first part is the story of the multiplication of the loaves and fish. This is this miracle that takes place, and it shows that God provides. And then after that, Jesus uses that as a launching point for teaching. He teaches a truth that he is the bread of life. And then in response to that, he calls people to believe. He makes this offer of the gospel to them. 
but they still don't believe. And so they, he then continues to dialogue with them and he shows that he is the only way of salvation. And that that's the reality that Jesus is laying out for them. And then the chapter concludes with this response, with Peter's response to this message. So that's where we're going to be going this morning. But the idea of food, really it brings up the idea of hunger, doesn't it? How long has it been since you've really felt real hunger? How many of you have dieted before? Dieted like strict dieting? Or how many of you have um, done fasting and, and felt real hunger pains? You know, I, I think a lot of folks in our society may not really know what it's like to feel real hunger. There are people who do. So we should not forget that there are people that are legitimately hungry, even in our own society and around the world. But for many of us, we go about our daily lives and we can go day to day and, and not really realize what real hunger feels like. But in the ancient world, people had to work hard for their food. They were at the mercy of the weather and the rain. And or they were at the mercy of rulers and, and kings and authorities for their food. Even the worship of pagan gods, and we talked about this several weeks ago in one of the sermons, about how that was built up around rain. And that's really about agriculture and providing food for the people. So even that uh, cult of worship around pagan gods was built up around the need for food, this basic human need. And in our own day, there's still those who are hungry, but even for those whose hunger has been filled, there's the opposite danger of materialism. The idea that our well-being is, is fulfilled if we just have things. So whether we have abundance or whether we suffer hunger, there's this danger that we see our well-being in purely material terms. And even the modern world sees life as just material, doesn't it? There, you know, there's folks who don't see any spiritual side to things. And we see the effect of that, about seeing the world as just material in our neighbors and in our friends. But in the context of John chapter 6, the people went to hear Jesus speak, they had practical concerns. They had to walk a long way to go hear him and see him heal. And they would have been hungry when they got there. They wouldn't have had time to bake you know, some bread. They may have been able to take what they had with them, but remember, people were living more day to day at that time. It would have been quite an investment for them just to go hear Jesus and travel that long way. So there was something really important for them that they wanted to experience when they went to hear Christ. And when they arrived, in this case, there was not enough food. So the people had come to hear Jesus teach and to see him heal, and they were hungry, and Jesus was concerned for their needs. But he also uses hunger as a metaphor. What he's doing is he's trying to point them to a spiritual reality that's beyond their physical hunger. He satisfies their physical need, and he uses that as a point for teaching them about why he came. Without food, we die. We need a regular supply of food to sustain life. But in this passage, Jesus is pointing to a greater reality. We need spiritual food to sustain spiritual life. And so that's where we are as we enter John chapter 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 5. 
Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy food so that these people may eat? He said this to test them, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy food enough bread for them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and to take him by force and to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountains by himself. So the people responded to this miraculous event, this miracle, with this, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. They recognized that Jesus was a prophet. And we see examples of this in the Old Testament where God provided food for the people. And the, uh, the manna and the quail in Exodus 16, and again there's an account in Numbers 11. Elijah and the prophets who were persecuted. In 2 Kings chapter 4, we see this example of the feeding of the prophets. And in both cases, they were, it was food provided by God to the people. And it was through the ministry of these prophets, but ultimately the food came from God. And they recognized that. And so here, this sign of giving food validates Jesus' message. It shows us that the Old Testament was pointing to him. And the people recognized the importance of that. So much so that they were ready for King Jesus. And the question here is, was this a physical or a spiritual kingdom that they were thinking about? Later, we're going to see that the people are really thinking in physical terms. And we're going to see that throughout the chapter. And Jesus is trying to redirect their thought to think in terms of spiritual realities. So we see that the people later, they do not believe, and Jesus dialogues with them and tries to continually point them to this greater spiritual reality. Here, they declare him to be a prophet, and they're willing to make him king. And think about what that means. What do kings do? What do the people do, and what do the kings do? The people work and provide for the kingdom, but the king's role is to protect and provide for the people. So there is this relationship there. The people would have understood this. So when they want to make him a physical king, that's part of what's going on here. And so Jesus uh, understands all this. Despite the miracles right in front of them, the people kept looking and thinking in terms of physical help, even though Jesus points them to a greater spiritual reality. The sign of the loaves and the fish show that Jesus is a prophet, and in response, Jesus calls them to believe in him. But the people are not willing to believe because they want bread from heaven, and we're going to see that in the coming verses. So, what are some important lessons to take from this first episode? First, the Old Testament points to Christ. We see this all over the New Testament, how the Old Testament was pointing to Christ, and Christ fulfills all these uh, types from the Old Testament. 
Second, we see that the people recognized that Jesus' miracles were truly miraculous. They, this wasn't just a magic trick. This was something unique that was occurring in front of them. And third, we see that we often respond to spiritual events from a, a worldly framework. Jesus was emphasizing a greater spiritual reality, but they were stuck in their everyday frame of reference. And that's the, the conflict that's going to be carrying us through the rest of the passage. So, where do we go from here? Jesus reveals to them the truth that he is the bread of life. Let's start reading again in verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign will you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. So here we read this dialogue between Jesus and the people. They go back and forth multiple times, and the people misunderstand, and Jesus clarifies. Jesus explains that he's the true bread from heaven. He is the one who would be sacrificed on their behalf, and he's the one through whom they can have eternal life. So therefore, he calls them to believe in him, and when they do not, he makes it clear that there's no salvation apart from participation in Christ. And that's, again, where we're going a little later. So, just as Paul points to, in, for example, in Romans 6, we have union with Christ, and, and that's where Jesus is headed. So, looking back in verse 25 through 27, Jesus calls them to seek spiritual food. He is the bread of life. Right? The, the people wanted material things from Jesus, and he calls them out on it. They were seeking physical help. And Jesus says they should seek a better food, a food that endures, that gives eternal life. And they were looking for the physical food, and Jesus points them to the spiritual reality. And then there's this dialogue then, what must we do to be doing the works of God? So why are they asking what must we do? Again, think of this, this king relationship, right? If, if Jesus is going to give them something, they're thinking, what must I do to receive this thing that you're giving me? Right? It makes sense. It fits with their worldview. What must we do? So they respond by asking what work they had to do to get this better food. And Jesus' response is believe. He said the only thing that they had to do was believe. This was coming at a right angle to their worldview. Right? They weren't expecting this at this point. So they respond in verses 30 through 33, well, 
What sign will you give? And this is amazing because earlier in the chapter, they even used the word sign. This is the sign that Jesus did, the loaves and the fish. And now they're asking for a sign again. So why are they doing this? See, they had missed the whole point. When their bellies were full, they were ready to make him king. And now they're asking for a sign. See, they're still thinking in terms of bread to eat. What's the guarantee that Jesus is going to give them that he will continue to give them this bread? Heavenly bread. But the heavenly bread they're thinking of is, is still bread. It's food. Natural food, in a sense. Or food that sustains the physical body. And so that's why they say, give us this bread always, in verse 34. The people wanted this physical help. So, what lessons are we going to take here? First, we're often caught up in daily life that we find around us. Right? We, we have a frame of reference that we're viewing the world from. And Jesus, when you read the Gospels, he's trying to wake us up from that daily frame of reference. He's trying to reveal to us this greater spiritual reality that we may be ignoring in our lives. Second, we need to be sensitive to the spiritual realities in our lives in light of this. A.W. Tozer says, if, a man anywhere who, if there is a man anywhere who is hungering after God and is not filled, then the word of God is broken. We are as full as we want to be. We are as full as we want to be. Do you read God's word? Or do you hunger for God's word? Jesus is the true manna from heaven. The Old Testament was pointing to him. And he offers spiritual food that leads to eternal life. This is something that we should be hungering for. And so, having presented this truth, Jesus moves on to give them this offer of the gospel. He offers them eternal life. Continuing on in verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you, that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise him up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus presents in, in verse 35 that he is the bread of life. He presents us with this metaphor, this imagery. And think about what the metaphor and imagery of bread is like and what it means. It's food, right? We take food continually for sustenance, for our needs, for our daily needs. Without food, we perish. Without food, there's, there is no life. And so he's saying that the eternal life that he provides and the sustenance that he provides for eternal life is like a spiritual food. It's for our daily spiritual needs. There's a, there's a continuation or a, um, a element of continuation to that. 
But there's also an element of participation, participation in Christ and his work. And he ramps that up as we move through the rest of the passage. There's more emphasis on this participation in Christ as we move forward. See, the Father sent Jesus, it says in this passage. And we see the work of the Trinity here in verses 36 through 38. We see that eternal life is from God. We see that the Son is sent as the bread of life. But we also see that in, down in verse 63, we're not quite there yet, but it says that the Spirit gives life. So throughout the whole passage, we see the work of the Trinity. We also see that there is a profound spiritual darkness that Jesus is dealing with. It may seem like on surface level, he's going just back and forth rationalizing or maybe having a rational discussion with these people. But there's something more going on here, and we're going to see that more fully as we move on. He wasn't just dealing with their everyday objections. What he's saying is that ultimately there's a spiritual darkness that must be overcome, and it's only overcome by the work of the Trinity, and it's overcome by belief in the Son who is the bread of life. So even as Jesus is reasoning with them, he is explaining to them the nature of this spiritual darkness. Some do not believe, but there is no middle way. There's belief and unbelief. And so, in verse 39, it says that Jesus' work will be accomplished. What he sets out to do will be done. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I will raise it up on the last day. So that should be an encouragement to those who believe, to know that God will accomplish what he set out to do in salvation. Jesus offered his flesh on the cross for us. He says that he will lose nothing. He's able to save those who are his. So take encouragement in that. We also see this generous offer of eternal life when he says believe in Christ. In verse 40, look to the Son, it says. Remember, that's reminiscent of the serpent, right, from uh, the Exodus account, right? The people were called to look on the, to the serpent on the staff in order to be healed. Here's just one more image of how Jesus fulfills this typology from the Old Testament. But when we follow Jesus, we're following in God's purposes and plan. And, and Jesus is calling them to do that when he says believe in verse 40. So summarizing this section, we see the work of the Trinity, that eternal life comes from God, that eternal life comes through Christ, and eternal life is given by the Spirit, down in verse 63. And we also see that this is personal. Do you place your stake in Christ for salvation? And how do the people respond? We see that in verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because of what he said. Why did they grumble? So in this next section, Jesus makes a, a clarification. It's a point of clarity where he reveals something to them. 
that there is no other way of salvation. That's the reality, that salvation is found only in Christ. The Jews had complained just like their ancestors, but for a different reason. So let's read the, the section and, uh, and we'll get to that. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day, as it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. Think about what that means for a second. They had this miraculous bread from heaven in the wilderness, and the result was still death. God was gracious in providing food for the people in the wilderness, but Jesus is making it clear here that there's something still more needed. They ate the man in the wilderness and they died because it, it was still just food. All right, continuing on. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So here Jesus is revealing to them this reality that he is the only way of salvation. The Jews in verse 41, they sensed the exclusivity of Jesus' message. And Jesus hits it head on. He ramps it up. Every few verses, as the dialogue expands, it gets more explicit and stronger to the point where he's saying, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. You can't get much more explicit than that. So, what do, we, what do we see here? He says that you receive the bread for eternal life. And that eternal life is from the Father. There's a, a repeat of that thought. 
So life is not just a force to be distributed. It's intrinsically tied to our connection to the Father who gives life. And that can only come through the Son. So if we want life, we have to go back to the source of life itself, God the Creator. And the way we get to the source is through the one whom he has sent, the bread of life that has come from the Father. And then in verses 47 through 51, we see that this is not physical bread. This isn't manna. Right? They ate that bread and they died. So even though they had this miraculous bread, it was not enough to save them. Only Jesus gives eternal life. And he was given as a sacrifice for us. And then we come down to verses 52 through 59, and there's this very explicit language, this imagery of unless you eat, you have no life in you. So let's talk about what this means. Let's talk about communion for a minute. Communion really is about union, and it has multiple facets to it. It's participation in God's community, union with God's community, this continuing walk with God's people. And it's also about union with Christ. It's about the union of believers together as we affirm our faith together and we're reminded of Christ's love for us. But it's also about spiritual nourishment. We take the benefits of Christ's death to ourselves when we take communion. There, there is also an aspect of, a uh, temporal aspect, that we're remembering what Christ has done for us on the cross. That's past. We're recognizing our present relationship with Christ that's present and we're also recognizing our future relationship that God will redeem his people in the end of time right so there is a past present future aspect to it as well but again this is strong language here so um, you know for instance the Catholic view of transubstantiation is that the the bread and the wine become the substance of Christ in the Eucharist. It's a giving thanks. And so that's how they interpret this, these words of flesh and blood. And there's also an element within the Catholic view of ex opera operato, which is that in the doing of the thing, it's effective. It's Latin. It basically means that the, the act of performance of communion is an act of giving grace to the person. The person receives grace in the event, in the reenactment of the sacrifice. And then what do you do with Christ's death on the cross? Right? Hebrews, go read Hebrews 7, 8, 9 in that section. There's, there's a lot that it says about this, that Christ died once and there is no reenactment of that salvation. So then what's Communion. See, Christ's death on the cross was fully effective. It accomplished salvation. In flesh and blood, it's a Hebrew idiom. Go look it up and do a search of the Bible for flesh and blood and see how it's used. You're going to see it means the whole person. It's used over and over and over again. It's a common phrase. And they would have understood this. So place your faith in the person of Christ. He made a personal sacrifice. That was a historic event that accomplished salvation on your behalf. 
And so he calls you to participate in Christ. So think about what this unless you eat means, the element of participation. The point is that spiritual union with and participation in the work of Christ is necessary. Now, we have to understand physical bread will not heal you, but there is this principle of union with Christ that we find other places in Scripture. So communion represents spiritual nourishment that we receive from God through Christ. There's a spiritual aspect to it. So Jesus in this whole chapter is talking about spiritual things, right? Not physical things. And our fellowship with fellow believers is another aspect that's expounded in in other passages. But together, that spiritual nourishment and our union with other believers, together, they're summarized in the fact that Christ died for us and we live for Christ, right? So there is the, the understanding of communion, right? It is a visible symbol to us of Christ died for us and we live for Christ. So we don't have this loose connection with Jesus Christ. He is our only hope. Do you personally have a claim to Christ and his work? Can you say that? For yourself. Not that just that you have grown up in the church and you like who Jesus is, you like the idea of salvation. Could you place your full trust in Christ? So when Jesus says you must eat and drink, it stresses that there is no other way of salvation. It's not just that the Father sends the Son as a way of salvation. There is no other way. So think of where we've been so far. There's the the sign that was given, the bread and the fish. There's the truth that he is the bread of life. He's offered the gospel, and now there's the reality that there is no other way. So this whole chapter has laid out for us a clear message. And that brings us to our fifth point. How will you respond? Let's read, starting in verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to him, Do not take offense at this then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Peter believes and Judas does not. 
And here, some, many turned away, but even Judas, we know from the continuing account of, of the Gospels, continues with them. Think of the significance of that. Judas, who he knew did not believe, continues with them, but he is not one of them. On the outside, he looks like one of them, but he is not. And think of the contrast to Peter. Peter, who gives this stirring confession of faith in Christ. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So think of where this chapter has taken us. It's begging the reader to ask, how will I respond to this? Will you be caught up in the physical reality of your world and missing the spiritual reality that Jesus places before you? Or will you believe in Christ for life, receiving spiritual food that gives eternal life? Will you look for physical help when underneath there's a spiritual reality that you're ignoring in your life? Two ways are presented here. Believe, participate, and receive eternal life. And desire earthly bread and receive death. And the message is clear. Trust in Christ. He is the true bread. He is the only way to eternal life. So this passage leaves us with this bigger question. Will you believe? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the testimony that's recorded here in John's gospel, that you have sent your son as the bread of life on our behalf, that life is from you, Father, the creator of all life, and that life comes through Christ. So Lord, help us to receive that today, to receive that message. And Lord, I pray that you would bring us to a point where we place our faith in you. Lord, thank you for your patience with us. As I know, I spent even much of my own life not understanding the gospel until a point where you revealed to me the truth of your word. So Lord, I pray that you would do that now, that you would reveal your truth to us. Help us to see that there is life found nowhere else, but you have provided life through your son. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.